0: Good morning, church. Good morning. It is so good to see you this morning. It is good to have those that are watching online and those that are gathered here in the auditorium. I'm amazed every week at how many people we have, how many households we have that are watching online. And it just thrills me to think I can't wait until we can all be together again. And that that excites me. But in the meantime, I'm glad that we are able to gather here and gather there and all of us with one voice glorifying our God Together. One of the things that I love and appreciate about you the most is that you allow me the freedom to be sort of embarrassingly transparent sometimes, and that's how I'm gonna begin this morning is by being embarrassingly transparent with you. To say that I, I I know that you probably all feel this way, but 2020 has been such a strange year, and for me, every step of the way I've second guessed myself. Not only have we had, you know, obviously a pandemic, but on top of that, there's been conversations about racism and injustice, there's been social unrest, there's been uh, not only the the national and the international crises that we've dealt with, but there's been several crises that I'm sure you've dealt with personally, that my family has dealt with personally, and every step of the way, and not just this year, but so many times in my life, I've second-guessed my response To those crises. To those crises. How, how should I respond? And every time I speak up and say something, then somewhere in the back of my mind, I think I probably should have kept my mouth shut. And when I keep my mouth shut and I don't say anything, then somewhere in the back of my mind, I think I probably should have been bolder and I should have spoken up and I should have said something. And, And, and with everything going on in the world, there's times where I've gone out and did what I wanted to do and thought I probably should have stayed at home. And there were other times where I stayed at home and I thought I probably should have gone out and done what I wanted to do. And there's been so many times like that through the last few months, and honestly, in my life. And I'm sure that going forward, there will be many more times like that where I second guess my response to a crisis, whether it's a shared crisis that we're all going through or a personal crisis or a family crisis, and I second guess, how should I respond to this? Should I speak up or should I be quiet? Should I be out front, leading, or should I be behind the scenes, quietly doing what I'm supposed to be doing? What's the faithful way to respond in this crisis? And maybe some of you share my second-guessing, and you felt that way through all of this, and you, you've second-guessed your response, and you thought, maybe I should have responded differently, maybe I should have said something, maybe I shouldn't have said something. Or, or maybe you haven't second-guessed yourself, maybe you've been quite confident in your response But you've second-guessed the response of other people. And you've said they shouldn't be responding that way. They shouldn't be acting that way. That's not the faithful way to respond to a crisis. And maybe you've really been frustrated by the way that other people have responded. I want us to think about this for a second. No matter how we respond to a crisis, there will always be those who respond differently. I think that's the next slide. No matter how we respond to a crisis, there will always be those who respond differently. And I think what happens in a community of faith, what happens in not only a local congregation, but because of social media now, we're all tied together. And we all can, we can all go through some of this stuff together. And what happens when we're all responding differently to a crisis is that sometimes it can create tension and sometimes conflict. Sometimes it can create animosity. We're, we're not only second-guessing ourselves and saying, oh, man, maybe if I was more spiritual, I would respond like them. I've seen that in ministry, my, my entire ministry life. I've seen the way that people deal with grief. And sometimes when people lose someone that's close to them, they say things like, well, I know I'm being selfish, but I really want them here with me. And I think, do, do you really think that, that grieving is is selfish. But but maybe we look at other people and they don't seem to grieve the same way that we grieve and we think, man, if I was more spiritual or if I was more faithful, maybe I would grieve like them. Maybe when somebody goes through a job loss or somebody goes through a difficulty in their family financially or otherwise... And they look at other people in the church and they say, if I was more spiritual, if I was more faithful, then I would respond to the crisis like they do. Or or sometimes we might lift ourselves up and think if they were more spiritual, if they were more faithful, maybe they would respond like me. And so when we respond differently to a crisis, and that's what's always going to happen. When there's a crisis, other people are going to respond to the crisis differently than you. And unfortunately, sometimes that creates some tension and some conflict and even some resentment. So this morning, I want to talk about who's right. (laughs) Who's right? How should we respond to a conflict or a crisis, a tragedy, grief, loss, brokenness, hardship, difficulty? What is the faithful response to crisis and so as I thought about that question, my mind went to the days of Elijah. And I want us to think about what happened during the days of Elijah. Now, Elijah was a prophet of God, and he prophesied during the days of Ahab. And you remember Ahab? King Ahab was married to the wicked queen Jezebel, and they were horrible. In fact, the scripture says that, that Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Now that's prophesied, Elijah prophesied against Ahab and Jezebel, and he prophesied that it wouldn't rain for several years. And then God, if you remember, he sent him to live by a brook and he was fed by the ravens. And after that, he fled to the Gentile city of Zarephath. And then back in, in Israel, Ahab and Jezebel were searching for Elijah. They were slaughtering prophets of the Lord. And all of this went on for three years. I don't know about you, but I get impatient after three months, much less three years of crisis. No rain, and the king and queen are searching desperately for the troublemaker, from their perspective, that caused it not to rain. And, of course, with no rain comes famine and sickness and all kinds of horrible things. People are dying. And then they're searching for Elijah and slaughtering the prophet's of God. Meanwhile, continuing to do what caused all of this in the first place, which is worship the idols of Baal, right? And they continue in their evilness and their wickedness, and the people suffer, and the people die, and the prophets of God are being slaughtered. Look at First Kings chapter 18 and verse 1. Now, this is when Elijah is living in Zarephath, and he's Hiding from Ahab and Jezebel It says, after many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year Saying, go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab Now the famine was severe in Samaria Samaria being the capital of Israel at that time And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household Obadiah is kind of his Ahab's chief of staff, if you will Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, and when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Now, I just kind of want us to sit right here with this text for just a second. Here you have Obadiah, who is working in Ahab's house. In fact, he's Ahab's right-hand man. He's Ahab's chief of staff, but he is faithful to the Lord he fears God. He's not doing what Elijah did, right? He's not a prophet of God. He's not speaking out boldly against what Ahab is doing. He's working quietly behind the scenes. And he hid 100 prophets of the Lord in caves, right? So he hid these prophets of God in caves because he fears the Lord. Now, I want us to think about that for a second, Was Obadiah any less faithful than Elijah? No. He wasn't as outspoken. He didn't do the same things that Elijah did, but he was no less faithful than Elijah. Now, now think about the prophets. There's also in this story a hundred prophets who are hid by fifties in a cave that Obadiah hides in a cave. And they spend, I don't know how long, maybe it's the full three and a half years, I don't know how long they were in those caves, but they spent that time hiding in a cave, waiting patiently for the storm to pass by. Were they they any less faithful than Elijah? No. Were, Were they any less faithful than Obadiah? No they patiently waited and were faithful to the Lord. They didn't do what Elijah did, they didn't do what Obadiah did, but they were faithful to the Lord. Obadiah didn't do what those prophets did, and he didn't do what Elijah did, but he was faithful to the Lord. Elijah didn't do what Obadiah did, and he didn't do what the prophets did, but he was faithful to the Lord. Verse 5, and Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. So again, picture what's going on in Israel. I mean, everything is falling apart and has been for years. And they're so incredibly desperate to find some green pastures that they're going looking for green pastures. Maybe they can save some of the livestock that at this point are about ready to die because there's been no rain and there's been nothing growing and so they're going to look for any green pasture they can find and Ahab sends his right-hand man, Obadiah, to try to find some. And verse seven says, and as Obadiah went on the way, behold, Elijah met him and Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and says, is it you, my Lord Elijah? And he answered him, it is I. Go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. Now, Obadiah has been right there beside Ahab all this time as they've been looking for Elijah, going everywhere, trying to find Elijah because they figured if they could find Elijah and maybe kill him, they could put it into this whole drought thing. They could bring back the rains. And he said, Obadiah says to Elijah, how have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not, sent to, has not sent to seek you. And when they would say, he's not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. So Obadiah is like, hey, listen, that's, that's not my gig, right? I'm not the outspoken guy. I'm not the go proclaim anything guy. I'm the work behind the scenes kind of guy, right? And so he says, when you tell me to go tell my boss, Elijah's over here, he wants to talk to you, that terrifies me because he's been looking everywhere for you. Verse 12, and as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you, I know not where, and so when I come and tell Ahab and he can't find you, he'll kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth, Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah's here and he will kill me. So he's terrified. As soon as I go and I say to Ahab, hey, Elijah's over here. He wants to talk to you. Ahab's going to go and try to find you. And the spirit of God's going to pick you up and carry you off somewhere. He's not going to be able to find you. And then he's going to come and he's going to kill me. Now, Is he being irrational in that fear? No, that's a pretty rational thing to think, right? He's being very rational. Sometimes it is rational to say, this this is dangerous. I don't know about doing this. But even in this, he's not being unfaithful to the Lord. And Elijah said, verse 15, Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. So sometimes we do step out of our comfort zone. And do what needs to be done. So he goes and he tells Ahab and he says, Elijah's over here. So Ahab comes and he talks with Elijah. And then you remember there's the big showdown on Mount Carmel. You remember the prophets of Baal and Elijah and calling down fire from heaven. And fire comes down and consumes Yahweh's sacrifice. And so God proves himself to be God. And then the prophets of Baal are destroyed. And the rains come back to Israel. And they all live happily ever after, right? No, that's not how it works in the Bible because that's not the way it works in real life. God proved himself to be God. The prophets of Baal were destroyed. But then, of course, Jezebel finds out what Elijah has done and she wants to kill Elijah. And so Elijah goes and he runs and hides again. And he ends up at Mount Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai. And he ends up there waiting for God. And God finally shows up to talk to Elijah. And he comes In a still, quiet voice, 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 13, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now, on the one hand, I mean, he's right, right? I mean, the people of Israel have been incredibly unfaithful to God. And many of them have worshipped idols and have been unfaithful to God. But Elijah feels like, look what he says, I, only I am left. I'm the only faithful one in Israel. I'm the only one doing it right. I'm the only one committed to you. I'm the only one that's faithful. And now they want to kill me. Why? Because he feels all alone and he looks around. And he says, I'm the only one doing what I'm doing. And so I must be the only one who's faithful. Everyone has forsaken you. Everybody's turned their back on you. I'm the only one doing what's right. You ever feel like that? You ever look around at the world and you say, it's all falling apart, everybody's doing wrong except me, everybody's messed up, everybody's unfaithful, I'm the only one that's doing it right. See, this is what happens in a crisis, isn't it? Sometimes we beat ourselves up and sometimes we beat everybody else up. Sometimes we think I'm the only one doing it right and sometimes we think everybody else is doing it right and I'm not because it's difficult and it's challenging to know how do we navigate, how do we faithfully navigate a crisis. Now, obviously, there were some people in Israel who were objectively, downright, no doubt about it, no debate about it, unfaithful to God. But God continues to have this conversation with Elijah about what to do next, and God gives him some next steps. But I as particularly want us to look at verse 18. God says in verse 18, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Kind of a subtle reminder that Elijah, you're not the only one who's faithful. You're not the only one who's faithful. You might be the only one doing what you're doing and that's okay. Okay. You might be the only one that's that's speaking this bold truth to Ahab and Jezebel, but you're not the only one who hasn't bowed his knee to Baal. You're not the only one who has been faithful to me. In fact, there are thousands. There are thousands of people who haven't bowed their knee. There are thousands of people who have been faithful. I mean he had just had a conversation with Obadiah, right? Obadiah had been faithful. He had been working quietly behind the scenes, working right under Ahab's nose as sort of a spy right there in Ahab's house, but he had been faithful to the Lord. And they had just had a conversation about the hundred prophets that were faithfully waiting patiently in the cave for the storm to pass over. There were thousands of people in Israel who were faithful to the Lord, but Elijah felt like he was the only one. I think we have to admit, don't we, that faithfulness can take different forms. Faithfulness can take different forms. There's a time. There's a time to be like the hundred who hid in a cave and you can hide, and you can still be faithful. You can take a stand and still be faithful. You can speak boldly and still be faithful. You can work quietly behind the scenes and still be faithful. I I think, one, we have to acknowledge that you don't have to feel like you've let God down because you haven't responded to the crisis the same way others have. Can we admit that? Can we admit that when we go through a personal crisis or a shared crisis and we look at the way we've responded and we say, listen, I seem to be crying a lot, I seem to be broken a lot, I seem to be scared, I seem to be whatever, you don't have to feel like you've let God down because you haven't responded the same way that others seem to have responded. But if that's true, then we also have to admit, number two, we have to admit that others haven't necessarily let God down because they haven't responded to the crisis like you, right? Just because you can't see or don't understand what other people are doing doesn't mean that they haven't been just as faithful to God as you have been. And that's a lesson that Elijah had to learn, right? Elijah, just because you can't see what everybody's been doing for these three and a half years, just because you can't see their deeds, just because you can't see their faith, just because you can't see their actions, doesn't mean that they haven't been just as faithful to God as you have been. When there's a crisis, we're all going to respond in a little bit different ways. But that doesn't mean that we can't all be faithful But at the end of the day, we have to acknowledge the fact that we are saved and part of God's kingdom because of the faithfulness of Jesus, because he saved us from the greatest crisis of all because of his steadfast faithfulness. He has saved us. And because he saved us, there is room in his kingdom for all kinds of people. There is room in his kingdom for Elijah's who will boldly speak the truth to power, who will tell Ahab and Jezebel when they're wrong and they need to stop. There's room in his kingdom for Elijah's, but there's also room in his kingdom for Obadiah's, who will work quietly behind the scene. And there's room in his kingdom for those who will just patiently wait until the storm has blown over. And there's room in his kingdom for like the widow at Zarephath who simply practice hospitality and selflessly loved her neighbor. There is room in God's kingdom for all kinds of faithfulness. But at the end of the day, how do we respond to crisis? The answer is with love. How do we respond to crisis? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And what does that look like? Well, Paul gives us a pretty good definition in 1 Corinthians 13, doesn't he? Love is patient. So in a crisis, be patient. Love is kind. So in a crisis, be kind. Love isn't rude. So in a crisis, don't be rude. Love isn't self-seeking. So in a crisis, don't, don't seek your own interests, but the interests of others. Love keeps no record of wrongs, so in a crisis, don't keep a record of wrongs. We, We know what to do, don't we? But sometimes it can be difficult because when we lose somebody that we love or when our community or our country or our world is going through something difficult, We second guess ourselves and we say, well, if I was more spiritual or if I was more faithful or we second guess other people and we say if they were more spiritual, if they were more faithful, but we need the same reminder that Elijah needed, that faithfulness can take different forms. That yes, there's a time when we need to call out sin and say that's wrong, but there's also a time when it's okay to be quiet and it's okay to work behind the scenes and it's okay to patiently wait whoever we are and whatever we do, let us be people of love, who love the Lord our God with all of our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength and who love our neighbor as ourselves. And remember that it, it wasn't our faithfulness that saved us, but the faithfulness of Jesus. So we entrust ourselves to him. We're gonna sing a song here in just a second. And when we do, you're invited to Go back to the information desk if there's anything with which you need prayers or help or encouragement. If you're ready to put Jesus on in baptism and be rescued from the greatest crisis of all, death itself, be raised to live a new life and commit yourself to the Lord. If you're ready for that or you need prayers or encouragement, our shepherds will meet you back there while we sing this song and afterwards we'll close with a prayer.